It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and I see a number of people are joining me here in the chat room, even though I did the little switcho changeo on the time. I did warn you I was going to try and get back here to the Friday slot this week. So here we are on a Friday afternoon in June. Southern California. Weather gods have not complied with my request, though, because they have not managed to keep the June gloom going even through the month of June. It's starting to get hot now. It's going to get even hotter over the weekend, something that I'm not looking forward to, something that the people up in Santa Barbara area certainly aren't looking forward to because they're dealing with brush fires, a huge, I think over 4,000 acres has been burned. So I send the best out to anybody who is in that area. Uh, I think some people that I know, or at least one person that I know has had to be evacuated and is worrying about their house and stuff. This is a horrible, horrible uh, situation to be in. So yeah, weather gods, get on it, please. That would be very nice. Um, Some people are saying we have to have popcorn for this particular show. Oh, people are having a little trouble with the sound. I think it's doing well. I've got the direct connect going and it usually has really good sound. Uh, So hopefully you're liking that there in the chat room. I see a number of people, Herman the German, John, just Jean, Paul, Redmond MTB, Rob Aviera. Thank you for stories again. Robert Nasir, welcome. Selfishness, Tim Pack. Thanks for making it. Um, a long music intro to get the blog talk working with the refreshes is what people are saying. So, sorry, I don't know what it is on, on your end. I think on this end it seems to be working well. If you go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com, you can check out the program notes for today's show. The title of today's show is When Government Goes After Your Guns and Your Arguments. 
And we've seen examples of both this week. So I wanted to talk about these stories and a few other things with you as well. So again, go to don'tletitgo.com. Check out the program notes if you've never been over there before and you would like to become a show supporter. I will not argue with you at all. I always appreciate those of you who have been supporting my show. So again, that's don'tletitgo.com. And again, it, the American sense of life, plenty of which we'll have on display here today in the stories that we are going to talk about. So, um, so yeah, check those out. And the topics, of course, are the horrible atrocity in Orlando and the predictable and reprehensible attempt at a gun grab afterwards by the Democrats. In addition, we have a Massachusetts Attorney General who has decided that she's going to use the power of government to intimidate ExxonMobil and also Alex Epstein, a friend of this show, who uh, you know basically has been, I guess, communicating with ExxonMobil about defending themselves morally against the attacks from government. Some people in government, as you know, would like to ban fossil fuels and say that fossil fuels are evil, that they cause catastrophic climate change, you know, catastrophic and destructive climate change, and that we actually need to ban fossil fuels. What a, what a suicidal fantasy, right? But uh, at, at the same time, what they've decided, because they really don't have the argument on their side at all, and Alex, I think, has shown them that more than anybody, uh, they don't have an argument on their side. They know they don't. And they've taken to using the power of government to intimidate the oil companies and anybody who would support them into silence. And so those are really the two main grabs, kind of self-defense grabs. So we have a government right now that, in effect, wants to take away your right to self-defense, not only physical self-defense, but intellectual self-defense. And those are the two main stories that I want to talk about. And in particular, what do you do when the government is trying to do these things? And Alex, if you saw what he did this week, you might describe it if you are on board with me as particularly eloquent. We will check that out. If you would like to discuss either of these stories or some of the other things I've got on the, you know, on the program notes or, or something else that's even tangentially related, you can call in 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. People are already chiming here. Um, the story from Bosch made uh, Rob's day. He says the the story that Bosch contributed to the program notes. He actually contributed two different stories to the program notes, but I think I know the one that you mean. It was definitely, I would say, one of the real feel-good stories of the week. Uh, Gavin McGinnis never ceases to amaze and surprise. Uh, he, he is just such a fun, awesome, benevolent person. Um, how people can call him all these horrible names, I, I have no idea. Yeah, so if, if I've intrigued you, go over, check out the program notes at don'tletitgo.com. Uh, some people are saying, okay, yeah, they're getting a little better access to the show this week. Only three refreshes, says Justine. Boy, that sounds really cumbersome. I'm sorry about that. Again, I don't know what you, the particulars of the computer systems are at your end. You could try to contact Blog Talk Radio Tech Support and see if they can help you connecting with it on your end. Um, <laughs> Rob says it made him spend too much time reading Milo's uh, Yianopoulos. Is how you pronounce his name? I, can't, I, I've never even tried to pronounce his name, um, his Twitter feed. 
yeah. Uh, Justine says, intimidation is what you resort to when you don't have a reasonable argument. Yes, indeed, that is right. And one story that I didn't actually include, it's a sort of an addendum to Alex's saga of this week, Alex Epstein from the Center for Industrial Progress. Um, This week, he has challenged Al Gore to a debate. In the past, he's actually challenged him to a debate, too. But instead of actually debating a smart person like Alex, Al Gore has decided that he wants to, you know, kind of participate in the use of government force against people like Alex and against the oil companies that Alex is empowering, right? And so Alex is saying, look, I'll give you your speaker fee, $100,000 to debate me. So Al Gore can make $100,000, which he spends, I think, at a high proportionate rate on fossil fuel-powered vehicles, by the way. Uh, you always hear about it. You know, he's jet-setting here and there and, you know, gas-guzzling all over the place. And he's got a huge house and everything else. His carbon footprint is huge, huge, I tell you, huge. Um, <laughs> Al Gore. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I would love to see that debate happen. I don't know if, he, if he's ever going to, um, you know, accept that challenge. But yeah, uh, Rob says because of Alex, I've written an open letter to the Oklahoma Governor Fallon. Okay, good. So Alex is inspiring people out there, and it's you know this idea of inspiration because of people like Alex who are willing to take these forceful stands. You know, same thing with Bosch Boston on the. Muhammad cartoons and, you know, other people who are taking very kind of controversial and gutsy stands out there. It's awesome to see. Yeah, $100,000. Alex is challenging Al Gore to a debate and saying that they will cover the speaker fee if he will show up and debate Alex Epstein. I'm guessing he won't because Alex will make him look ridiculous the way that he's made some of our senators look ridiculous in that hearing. Uh, Barbara Boxer in particular, that was that was pretty funny. So anyway, this is a long rambling intro, but yeah, go to don'tletitgo.com. Let's get into some of the program notes. As I said, if you do want to call in and you want to talk to me, you dial 760-888-5817 and press 1, which is uh, gives me a little question icon in the studio. I'll be clicking back and forth between the chat and the studio here in my somewhat primitive setup that I'm using. It's so funny. I, I switched into Direct Connect on the same week, last week, that I switched over to this particular setup, but I think it seems to be working well. So the first story that I've got in the program notes is just one of the latest stories that fills out some of the backstory of the scumbag Omar Mateen who committed that horrible atrocity in Orlando on Sunday, early, early Sunday morning, basically just right after we finished our show last weekend. I was thinking, you know, he's in the midst of doing this as I was doing my show last week and how horrific that was. They're saying that he actually posted to Facebook while he was in the middle of committing that horrible atrocity. A lawmaker has said this. So the gunman who committed the massacre at a popular gay nightclub in Orlando used multiple Facebook accounts to write posts and make searches about the Islamic State. Uh, Quote, now taste the Islamic State vengeance, end quote, he declared, denouncing, quote, the filthy ways of the West, 
end quote. He even searched for references to the massacre while he was carrying it out, a U.S. senator said. I mean, how revolting. He's sitting there getting off on references to the massacre while he's carrying it out. He's looking at it on social media. In the Post, continues the article, Omar Mateen called on United States and Russia to stop the bombing campaign against the Islamic State, the extremist group that controls parts of Syria and Iraq. He pledged allegiance to the group's leader, Baghdadi or whatever. And there was a rumor that Baghdadi got killed this week, but I never saw it turn into anything. Who knows? And he said, quote, may Allah accept me, end quote. Quote, Mr. Mateen wrote, you kill innocent women and children by doing us airstrikes. Quote, now taste the Islamic State vengeance, he said. And in the gunman's final post, he wrote, quote, in the next few days, you will see attacks from the Islamic State in the USA. Uh, Mr. Johnson, who is a senator of Wisconsin, from Wisconsin, he leads the Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee. He wrote in his letter to Zuckerberg that officials had found that, quote, five Facebook accounts were apparently associated with Omar Mateen. The letter asked Facebook to share all data on accounts tied to the gunman. And, of course, you know, again, we have way more than probable cause and particularized suspicion. Facebook should come forward with every single bit of private message, anything connected with any of these five accounts that should have absolutely no hesitation unless it considers itself some sort of, you know, invalid anarchist. I'm a big advocate of privacy, but this is the clearest case in which, uh, you know, privacy should not be respected. It says that Mateen frequently used Facebook to search for information on law enforcement agencies and terrorist groups. That sounds rather inefficient to me, actually. I, I mean, I use Facebook quite a bit, but I don't use Facebook so much to search for information, although I have some friends on Facebook who post a lot of great news stories. So I will sometimes go to that friend's page. Um, Mark Natickman, actually, I don't have a link from him this week, but I've sometimes credited him. Uh, I go there and just check out a whole bunch of news stories from him. I actually make reference to a story that I saw on his page this week. But he posts so much. Sometimes I remember something that he posts. And I think, okay, I'm going to go grab that and I want to share it for the show. And I have to scroll down and scroll down and scroll down in order to find it because he just posts so much and so many good things there. So, yeah, so in that way, sometimes I use it for information. But mostly, if I want to get information, I go out on the Internet at large due to either a Google or some other search engine search or go to, of course, you know, the New York Times which those of you who support the show help to subsidize my subscription. Thank you. Um, but I go there. There's a lot of good. I'm, you know, at the New York Times right now as I'm, I'm reading. So, you know, I get the information there. Mateen goes to Facebook to search for information. I don't think you can search for information very effectively on Facebook itself, but maybe there's something I need to learn. You guys can tell me. Am I not using Facebook correctly? Facebook, to me, seems like a place that you can just broadcast. Uh, Redmond MTB says, whose Facebook page is this? Uh, Mark Natickman. I hope he doesn't mind me telling people, but he just, he has a lot of very good, useful news stories. And he also writes a number of kind of 
helpful preambles to the stories that he posts as well. As a matter of fact, right now, I'm not even, you know, broadcasting my own show. I'm just reading entirely from his face. I'm I'm joking. I'm not reading from his feed. But sometimes you would be tempted to just go ahead and read. I would would always give credit if I do that. I always give hat tips and stuff where they're due. Um, And if I didn't flip up or forget. But yeah, uh, Mark Nitikman has a lot of good stuff. Um, by the way, if you do go to Facebook, if you're on Facebook, uh, there's a couple things. One is on my profile, my personal profile, I have my rainbow enhanced profile picture. And if you go on that picture, then you'll see the link where you can create your own and show support for the homosexual community in Orlando and elsewhere. Because what this has demonstrated is that homosexuals are a particular target of jihadist terrorism so it's good to show support so I'm I'm doing that another thing you can check out if you're on Facebook is I seem to have the Ayn Rand bot linked up and working Um, you know originally I created the Ayn Rand bot on Twitter and what I wanted to do is have the tweets which I end up I've figured out how to automize uh, excuse me automatize 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 It's, it's in the morning, and, and I still have the, the word problem. Anyway, automatize the tweeting process, right? So I've got the random randomly sorted database, and then the tweets are sent out at predetermined intervals and everything. So I figured that out. And then the question is, how do you get the tweets to post onto Facebook? And I was having trouble for quite a time, and it seems to be working beautifully now. So go ahead and follow that page on Facebook if you would like to get some awesome tweets, some beautiful quotations from Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand said so much in 140 or fewer characters, so many different things with quite a lot of content. And I think you'll be surprised the value that comes through that feed. And it doesn't come at too quick of intervals. I'm thinking it's on the order of five per day, something like that, maybe six. Uh, And they're spaced out and everything. So it'll just kind of be peppered into your feed and you'll probably enjoy it. So do check that out if you if you want to if you're on Facebook. Uh, Robert in the chat room says I am doing Facebook right. Yeah, Facebook to me seems more about broadcasting, sharing with your friends, getting into discussions, and you know again you can connect with this show on Facebook. I have a Don't Let It Go Unheard page on Facebook. I boost posts uh, from there to help kind of spread the word about the show. That's the way that I use it. Um, Robert says that journalists write inexactly when they write about the Internet. It could could be true. You know, what's interesting is that Facebook is trying to throw some news in our face via the trending topics on the right-hand side. So it is trying to make itself seem to be an information source. But I think we all know, especially I was talking about how much they curate, that it's a little uh, dicey. So going going back to this New York Times story about Mateen, he posted, right? And then they also talk about something that's been discussed in the last couple days, and that's that in the weeks before the shooting, Mateen, only 29 years old, this scumbag, he went to a gun store in Florida, and he tried to buy high-grade body armor and at least 1,000 rounds of ammunition. That raises red flags, yes? Uh, The store, which is called Lotus Gunworks, did not stock the type of armor sought by Mateen. Uh, 
salesman grew suspicious of his behavior. The visit only lasted five minutes or so. There was also a telephone conversation that Mateen conducted in a foreign language. So they refused to sell him bulk ammunition. I guess he was only going to pay in cash and wasn't showing ID and all this kind of stuff, right? Uh, the store contacted the FBI, they said, but they had no information by which to identify the customer. Only after the killings did they recognize him. I mean, you would think, right, if a gun shop contacted the FBI, they didn't have information by which to identify, but this guy has been on the watch list, right? This guy's been on the watch list. Couldn't they send, they could do it. They don't have to go there in person. They could be lazy. They could maybe send, well, I guess they can't do it by email, right? Because then it would be out there, the pictures of all these people. So couldn't they show them pictures of people who are on the watch list and say, is it this guy? Is it this guy? Is it this guy? Um, Especially the location of the store. They could find the ones that they've been watching who are close by, right? Says, quote, unfortunately, nobody connected the dots and he slipped under the cracks. And this is where we are at now. School records showed that he was frequently in trouble as a child, struggled to keep pace academically, disciplined 31 times in elementary and middle school, with one report when he was in third grade, including a sweeping list of concerns. He was, quote, constantly moving. No, that's not a big deal. But here we go. Verbally abusive, rude, and aggressive. They said he often put his hands on other students disrupted class and engaged in, quote, much talk about violence and sex. High school, he was repeatedly suspended for a total of 48 days in a span of less than two years, attended three different schools. Last suspension came two days after September 11th. The school district had no detailed records about what prompted that suspension, but, and you've maybe heard this story going around as well, former classmates have told news organizations that he celebrated the 9-11 attacks, and this sparked conflicts with other students. May 2001, he was 14 years old. He was suspended twice for fighting, and one of those times he was arrested, according to personnel records, for, from his later work for the State Department of Corrections. Can you believe the State Department of Corrections hired this guy with his record. In the note explaining the incident to the department, he wrote that he was not taken to jail and, quote, the the charge of battery was adjudicated and the charge of disturbing school function was dropped, end quote. Uh, From October 2006 to 2007, he worked for the Florida Department of Corrections and he earned $1,100 or so every two weeks as a trainee dismissed, but the records do not say why. They say it wasn't for misconduct. They say he got just kind of average scores, maybe low average scores on the performance evaluation. So this is all this background about him. Um, just wanted to, you know, give you the, the, the thing that's going to come out in, you know, the stories for this week is that there was plenty of reason to be suspicious of this guy. There was plenty of reason to try to connect the dots as well. Um, The wife may have been involved, and that's another angle that they're looking at. They say that his wife drove him to Pulse nightclub within a week or two of the shooting, apparently to assess the target. 
She told agents that she tried to talk her husband out of mounting an attack, but they're not sure whether she's going to face criminal charges. I say definitely. Definitely give her criminal charges as a warning to any wife. And I would put wife in quotes when you're dealing with these kind of people. But any any wife who's in a similar relationship, the idea that they should be able to get away with saying, oh, well, yeah, I, I knew that he was thinking of doing this, but I tried to talk him out of it. When you're talking about 49 dead and over 50 injured by this scumbag. Oh, horrible. Uh, people in, in the chat room here are talking a bit about Facebook. And um, one, uh, Robert says, after a few weeks of getting my news exclusively from Facebook, I'm ready to vote for Hillary. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. That's what I'm afraid of. <laughs> Redmond MTB says, if only they had facial recognition software. Yeah, they definitely, definitely do. Juvenile records, they say, are usually sealed. So what, they unseal it after this guy is, is dead, and that's what we get. But still, again, this guy was on an FBI watch list. He, they reported a suspicious you know, purchase or, or would-be purchase in the weeks before this attack. They should have been able to connect some dots and, and do something. And it's really horrible. And I think it's part of this broader policy that we've been hearing quite a bit about in the, you know, Fox News has had a former, uh, I think, assistant director of FBI, I forget his name, on in the past week or so. And he talks about the so-called rules of engagement that they, the FBI has to use and that the rules of engagement discourage the kind of targeting of Muslims, Muslim groups in particular, that you, you know, basically would be suspended or, or have some sort of performance review implications if you were systematically going after Muslims and that this really cripples their ability to, um, to go after people like this scumbag Mateen. I'm going to go over back to, uh, oh, I do actually have a phone call. I'm going to go ahead and grab it right now. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? Bosch. Bosch, welcome to the show. How are you? Good. Uh, I just uh, I came across a story. This scumbag Omar Mateen. Yes. Uh, he threatened a mass shooting in elementary school. Oh my gosh! Really? Yeah. Hot Air is reporting it. CNN reported he was nine or ten years old. Wow. Yeah, so this guy has had a long history of threatening, and there was something that Dana Greenfield wrote the other day about Muslim privilege. There's no yeah, privilege. Yeah, I've, I've actually, I put, I put that one in the program notes, by the way. He's about ta- he's talking about this. Uh, there's an article, it's called Mo- Muslim Privilege Killed 49 People in Orlando, and it is over in the program notes at don'tletitgo.com. That is an excellent article, so thanks oh, for sending great. that Daniel's on. great. I saw him speak last night. He's, he's just great. He's a, he's a funny, fearless truth teller through and through. Check out his work, everyone. Uh, Daniel Greenfield. He writes. Uh, he has a, his own sub blog in the uh, at the front page of the magazine called The Point, mm-hmm. and he does like half a dozen things every day. Anyway, so this scumbag, a former classmate at Mariposa Elementary School in Port Port uh, Port St. Lucie, Florida, tells CNN the team once threatened to bring a gun to school and kill everyone that was in fourth or fifth grade. He was nine or ten years old. The classmate could not recall what punishment the team received, but said it was quote a very big deal at the time. 
I mean, this wow. this guy. I mean, if you think and, about this, you know, this is elementary school, and people are thinking of what am I going to be when I grow up? And yes. he was saying, and I'm want, going to be a mass murdering jihadist yes. when I grow and up, and that. people did not take uh, him seriously. And what does that mean? Why? Because who are the heroes in Islam? The heroes are jihadists. Those are the heroes in Islam. There are no other heroes. In Islam. They're not scientists. They're not thinkers. They're not philosophers. They are jihadists. So that's why this kid saw the Mujahideen as the end-all, be-all. That was his heroes. And that's who he was striving to be as a nine, ten-year-old. And now, you know, you hear everything now. There were, there were red lights at every turn. This could have been avoided. Forty-nine people could be alive today. If right. someone had the sense to say, this guy, and push it. The FBI wants to ignore it. You go there and you push them. Yes. Yes. Exactly. And that's what needs to happen. I mean, I think most of the people, the you know, people who work for the FBI are decent people, but the people who Absolutely are steering are. the policy, the politicians who are steering the policy are the ones to blame for this horrific mess. That's the whole thing. The bureaucrats, mm. the ones in charge, the, the ones in the field, they are trying to do their job. Our soldiers are trying to do their job, and the scum who are in charge of their movements are the ones who undermine them at every single turn. Yeah, and, and I, you know I, just, I, I love this. this um, I love this term that Greenfield coins this term of Muslim privilege because it yes, really is brilliant. right Perfect. now. It is only Muslim privilege that could have allowed yep. this scumbag to Absolutely. undetected waltz up to this place called Pulse and get it's away. It's a great insightful observation. Or not get away, as usual from Daniel. In his mind, get but away. But Muslim right? privilege. Yeah, Muslim privilege is the key here. They talk about white privilege. Give me a goddamn break. There's no privilege today like Muslim privilege. None whatsoever. Anyone besides that guy said these things, he'd be arrested. He'd be taken in. The FBI would be interviewing him left and right and all his friends and family and say, what the hell's going on here? But because it's a Muslim, oh, 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 well, we can't be uh, accused of being Islamophobes here, can we? And they are – and also, you know, Nadal Hassan giving cards out that literally said jihad on there, literally. He, he threatened people, literally. And people yeah. kept saying, well, you know, you know he's uh, whatever. I don't want to be accused of this. You want to be accused of that. So therefore, you will let San, San Bernardino and also every single last jihadist who, who's been, you know, who mass murder or even the guys in Garland who actually were, were killed before they were able to mass murder, our FBI knew about them for years. Right. They've been watched. And no one is, you know... I mean, we're all, I guess, as I wrote with I said, we all have an idea when there's a terrorist attack and it might be Muslims, but our government knows exactly which Muslims by name that they were. They know them. And the guys in the field probably feel horrific because they knew that they were on their own, but their superiors probably just said, well, we can't we can investigate further because whatever. We don't know. Yeah, because, you know, because Islamophobia. Islamophobia. Yes, yes. 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 No, this, and is, this, is, Islamophilia. this is horrific. Right. You know, um, just Jean in the chat room reminded me of one point that I definitely want to make in connection with these background stories, you know, showing what Mateen's you know, background was, but yeah. also what, what he posted on Facebook during the attack and everything else. And it is that if any news outlet has the gall to question, oh, we don't know what the motive really is. Right. F you, I say to these people. Absolutely. There is plenty out there, and there was there was plenty out there. I mean, he called 911 and pledged allegiance to the Islamic State, and yes. people knew that within a day 
of this atrocity. There is so much evidence of this guy's motive. You know, there's been a number of memes out there, and I think Natikman actually posted one of these memes about, um, you know, if Caitlyn Jenner, you know, says, I identify Mm -hmm. as a woman, okay, fine. But if this guy, Mateen, says, I identify as ISIS, which is this vicious, murderous, jihadist group. Oh, no, 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 you're not allowed to do that. Oh, okay, right? It's a a brilliant point. It is a brilliant point. Uh, Rush Limbaugh actually uh, was talking about the old day. day. You know, Rush at his best. Right. That's that's what he does. And also, CBS News reports that his teachers began documenting his rude, aggressive behavior in third grade. And then, you know, this is this is they mm-hmm. anticipated this. And you think about the, you know, how old is this guy? What in his late late twenties? Twenty nine. Twenty nine. So, okay, so you know, you think about that. He was in his what, you know, fifteen years old around nine eleven. He he has a long history of this. Everyone knows it, and it's just he kept getting away with it because he's Muslim. Because of Muslim privilege, that 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 Daniel writes about, it's a brilliant observation, and it's absolutely true. We got to get our heads around it because that white privilege that is out the war, that's out the door. That is BS. First of all, it's absolute BS. If any white guy again threatened these things, he'd be, you know, rounded up. No doubt about it. Quickly. No, exactly. And and Greenfield and, talks about that with. in the piece. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. No, highly highly recommend. Anyway, I just wanted to, to mention that because you were mentioning his the history of it, and it goes even further than, than I even knew, than you knew. Elementary school, nine, ten years old, threatening to mow down everyone no, in school. I mean, you know, in, in the New York Times article, they do talk about him having, you know, a lot of discussion about violence and sex. That's all they say, but they didn't talk about a specific threat to mow down everyone. Right. That is That is horrific. That is horrific. Yep. So thank, yeah, thank, thanks for calling in, Bosch, and for listening, right. and uh, we'll, we'll talk again soon. Great. Um, I wanted to play you guys, because here we have all this horrible, horrible bad news. And, and the other thing that you probably, again, saw this week is the first reaction of Democratic lawmakers is to get angry. You know, Obama's been, I guess, giving some sort of temper tantrum when he's been attacked for his horrible policies that cave, you know, to cries of Islamophobia that, you know, help to inculcate Muslim privilege throughout all of the law enforcement organizations, right? That's what Obama's been doing. And, you know, when he's criticized, what does he say? He says, well, it's, it's all about guns. It's the guns. If, if guns just weren't available to everybody, then everything would be fine. And the one person who you know, within government, right, with some power and, and some influence, who has spoken out against this, blasted the political correctness and put it in its place and talked about the fact that this is not about guns, this is about jihad, this is about terrorism, is Senator Ted Cruz. And I wanted to play you his little clip because it's not very long, Madam his President, speech on the Senate floor. Our nation is at war. Five days ago, we saw a horrific terror attack in Orlando, Florida. From September 11th to the Boston Marathon, from Fort Hood to Chattanooga, from San Bernardino to this attack in Orlando, radical Islamic terrorism has declared jihad on America. As the facts have unfolded, it now indicates that the Orlando terrorists has pledged his allegiance to ISIS in the process of murdering 49 and wounding more than 50. 
at a nightclub. All of us, our hearts go out to those who were murdered, to the families of those who were victims and who are grieving. We stand in solidarity. We lift them up in prayer at this horrific act of terrorism. But it is also a time for action. We need a commander-in-chief who will speak the truth, who will address the enemy we face, who will unleash the full force and fury of the American military on defeating ISIS and defeating radical Islamic terrorism. In the wake of the attack, many of us predicted what would unfold. And it was sadly the same political tale we have seen over and over again. Many of us predicted that Democrats would, as a matter of rigid partisan ideology, refuse even to say the words radical Islamic terrorism. That they would suggest this attack was yet another isolated incident, one lone criminal not connected to any global ideology, not connected to any global jihad. And that even worse, they would try to use it as an excuse to go after the Second Amendment rights of law-abiding citizens. Madam President, I wish when we predicted that that we had been proven incorrect. But this week played out all too predictably. Yesterday, we saw a political show on the Senate floor. Democrat after Democrat standing for hours incensed, not at ISIS, incensed not at radical Islamic terrorism, incensed that Americans have a right to keep and bear arms. This is political distraction. This is political gamesmanship. And I think the American people find it ridiculous that in response to a, an a ISIS terror attack, the Democrats go on high dungeon that we've got to restrict the Second Amendment rights of law-abiding citizens. This is not a gun control issue. This is a terrorism issue. It is indeed a terrorism issue. And I think that if we had... President Ted Cruz, it would be a hell of a lot easier to chase pretty rainbows or dreams or anything else. And it's unfortunate that Cruz is out of the race. You know, again, we don't know. The, the latest thing I see is that Trump has been polling horribly, uh, been declining in the last several weeks, which is sort of opening an opportunity to put somebody else in there. And Trump is talking, maybe he'll go it alone and who knows going to be interesting. Uh, just Gene says, yeah, I do find the gun control talk ridiculous. One of the memes that I saw over at Mark Natickman's page was pretty funny. Somebody took a picture of their AK-15 or, you know, whatever it was that they, it, it wasn't even, I guess, the assault rifle that this guy had, but, you know, that they talk about this AK-15 this week. So somebody has an AK-15 and they took a picture of it next to a complete bra uh, breakfast plate. So, you know, bacon, eggs, whatever on a plate with coffee and stuff. And it says, uh, my AK-15 cooked breakfast for me this morning. So it just shows you that if you bring up your gun right, that it's not going to turn into a murder. It's going to cook you breakfast. It was pretty cute. But, you know, it, it makes light of the point, which is true, is that, you know, in Islam, there is, you know, a, a massive movement of people who think that they should kill homosexuals just for being homosexuals. And 
you know, again, there's other places in the world where this is true as well. But, you know, all over the Middle East, we've seen gays being thrown off buildings, gays being hung. And it is ridiculous that, you know, people are saying, oh, it's about the guns. It's just about the guns. Or it's just about homophobia. It's just hate against homosexuals without any particular origin. And I submit that the, you know, the Muslims are the worst with respect to the consequences that they do bring to bear routinely against gays. You know, the idea of making fun of them or refusing to bake a cake for them is at all even comparable to this is is ridiculous. I've got another YouTube video posted in the program notes at don'tletitgo.com, and I'll let you go check that out on your own time. It's a little bit longer, about six minutes or so long. People are saying that that Ted Cruz speech was actually edited too, that there's a longer version, and someone has posted the link to that longer version of Cruz's speech in the chat room. There was a place in that video where I saw that it might have been edited. It was done pretty well. It was almost seamless, by the way. Um, but this longer video is an older one, I think from December 2015. It was after the San Bernardino shooting. And there is a whistleblower, former DHS, who talks about the fact that a program that he was crucial in putting together could have stopped the San Bernardino shooters. And how is that? Because in that program, they would have monitored the mosque where the San Bernardino shooter, Farouk or whatever the scumbag's name was, um, that he attended. And he explains about that. Another thing that's explained in that clip, another point that's been crucial in all this, is the number of neighbors and maybe people at you know shops and stuff you know that we we heard about the you know the gun shop in Florida that did go to the FBI but didn't have enough information to push the FBI to actually do anything, right? But there are a lot of people who see suspicious behavior from Muslims and they decide that they're not going to report it anywhere. They're not going to see something, say something. Why? Because they don't want to be seen as a, quote, Islamophobe. And until we get over this political correctness, we are going to basically keep committing suicide on this issue. It is, it, it's disgraceful. You know, in a way, when I'm talking about the overall theme of this show is disarming, that the government is disarming us. Obviously, in, in connection with the Orlando shooting, the main theme is that they want to disarm us physically. They're using this as a new way to, to initiate a gun grab against law-abiding citizens. But the other thing that is becoming apparent, too, is that our government through the so-called rules of engagement of our law enforcement and through the way that our president talks about these issues in his speech where he won't even bring up Islam when this guy has pledged allegiance to ISIS. All he'll talk about, all I mean, you know, even Obama couldn't avoid talking about terrorism, the word terrorism in that first speech. And at least there was that, right? He could not evade that it was terrorism that was to blame, but he wouldn't use Islam. He wouldn't even talk about any of the Islamic terrorist organizations like Al-Qaeda or ISIS or anything else. I actually watched that speech. I, I took a hit, right? Watched that speech from Obama and nothing remotely Islamic was mentioned in there, right? Um, and, and that's the kind of 
quote, leadership that we have in which they are trying to silence us from using our minds, putting together thoughts that actually connect Islam to jihad, to terrorism, and from connecting the dots and from actually doing something in our own self-defense. So that's another way in which our government and our leaders are disarming us. They are bullying us. They're intimidating us from noticing the see something and say something that we're supposed to do when it's, you know, some white male. If it's a white male who's doing suspicious stuff, oh, yeah, you should you should report it. But basically, if it's anybody else, forget the see something, say something. Yeah. Redmond MTB in the chat room says these conceptual package deals, blank phobia, completely disarm the majority of Americans from even thinking properly. Yeah, that's exactly the point. And, you know, you would say, okay, well, the primary means of of self-defense out there are either to use guns or arguments, intellectual self-defense. But there is this other element of intellectual self-defense, which is thinking properly and then acting accordingly in, in conjunction with law enforcement, reporting suspicious activity to law enforcement. And people are not able to do that because of, you know, top down. It, it's our government right now with its rules of engagement through the FBI and Homeland Security and everything else. And again, watch that video on from Kelly File where they talk about how the Department of Homeland Security program, which was very promising in terms of tracing the activity of these suspicious people, it was shut down because it targeted Muslims too much. And that is, I, I want to say pathetic, it's just suicidal is the only word that I can think of. So, th- so then the question becomes, they're disarming us. And, and, you know, again, with respect to the Orlando massacre, what I'm focusing on more was the push to disarm us physically. And what's the proper reaction? Well, we have seen a wonderful amount of the proper reaction from the gay community itself. One story that I've got, again, program notes, don't let it go.com. One story is from Daily Wire. And the headline is in West Hollywood, it is they are inundated with amazing pro-gun, pro-gay posters. And what it is, is that is it's a takeoff on the classic Gadsden uh, flag, you know, that is um, the, the don't tread on me flag. It's a, it's a takeoff on that. And in, it, in the background, it's rainbow, but you've still got the snake. And then at the bottom, there's the tag and it says shoot back. And you can see it again in the photo at the program notes at don't let it go.com. There's apparently a famous artist, but I, I don't know him, unfortunately, Chad Michael Morissette at his house he actually covered the roof of his house with 50 mannequins to make a statement about the Orlando shooting. But these posters, the fact that it is all around West Hollywood, I think is, is an excellent sign. People are, are saying, no, shoot back. That is the way that you're going to be able to defend yourself. There are other things you can do, right? And, and there's also a, a series of articles that you kind of see out there and, and definitely go take a look at this talking about what you can do if you are not armed and you find yourself in an active shooter situation. Um, If you are not armed and you find yourself in an active shooter situation, it still would benefit you to try to take action against the shooter, to rush the shooter, you know, try to distract and rush a number of people rushing the shooter can be successful, quite successful. And, 
you know, if you're a moving target because you're rushing the, sh- the shooter, you're probably not going to be able to be shot as easily as, as accurately. Um, and people are surviving multiple gunshot wounds. By the way, I remember there was a comment in the chat room. It's a, it's a ways up. I'd have to scroll, but people were talking about, I think it was Kay Doolittle put it in there saying that the, uh, you know, the first responders and, and the medical teams in Florida must be amazing because as we, I, th- I think that the, the death toll has not gone above the 49, which was kind of within hours of the atrocity that everybody else seems to, at least so far, being surviving the wounds, right? So it does show you, you can, you can survive even multiple gunshot wounds. And so, you know, yes, the best thing is you also have a gun and you can stop them without, you you know, putting yourself in harm's way as much. But if you don't have a gun, you coordinate, you do like they do on Flight 93 and you say, let's roll and and go after that shooter. So um, so these are all good things. But the the other type of response, of course, is to go out and arm yourself and become trained. I'm seeing circulating out there a list of, um, you know, a list of, of gun instructors, you know, gun safety instructors who, you know, again, I think that this would go without question. I, I couldn't imagine any gun shop or gun safety instructor turning away a homosexual who wanted to defend himself. It would just be ridiculous. Yeah, there are those pastors, those stupid Christian pastors out there who have been saying horrific things like somehow these people needed to die anyway or, I mean, yuck. But I would say somebody who owns a gun shop probably has enough contact with reality that that person would never turn away a homosexual who wants to arm himself and defend himself against a jihadist because of that person's sexual orientation. I would be really surprised. That would be in the small, small minority. I could, I could much more easily see people like, no, I don't want to bake you your gay wedding cake because that's more directly connected to the sexual orientation. People should not be killed for their sexual orientation. This is ridiculous. So um, so one thing that I've liked seeing, there's an article that I got from Fox in Denver, KDVR, and they're saying that gun sales have surged among gay and lesbians after the Orlando shooting. So I think that is a, a great, great sign. Uh, they say that the tragedy is generating new debate over gun control reform and the right to bear arms. Gun shops typically see a spike in customers after mass shootings, but this time many are seeing shoppers they've never really seen before, more gays and lesbians. Um, George Horn, the owner, uh, the owner of the gun room in Denver, it's the oldest firearms dealer in Denver, said that business is booming. He says for this time of year, I'd say it's three or four times what he would normally have. Uh, now background checks take hours instead of minutes. Well, at least that's good, right? Um, he says what's different this time around is the clientele. Firearms instructor in Colorado Springs, he's one of the many closely tracking the surge in gays and lesbians buying weapons. Quote, he says, I think right now, because of what happened, people are looking for answers. He says, you walk into a gun shop and you expect to see people, frankly, who look like me. I think we forget we're a country of all people, not just people who fit that predetermined mold. There is a national gun club for gays and lesbians called the Pink Pistols. Uh, Its membership has soared from about 15,000, excuse me, uh, 1,500 members on Saturday to 3,500 on Monday. So go ahead and check that out. George Takei, unfortunately, on 
Facebook. Maybe many of you follow George Decay because he is funny and posts a lot of good stuff. But he came out with an op-ed basically urging gays to get behind gun control and that somehow this was going to solve all of the problems. Um, okay, so we have somebody in the chat room who says, do I take calls? I don't know. I do have somebody who's over at the Blog Talk studio, and I'm trying to use touch technology with my laptop, and it's not working very well. But let me go ahead and try this. It's saying anonymous, so just uh, be prepared for anything. We'll see. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? Hey. Hey, Amy. This is Andrew. How, how are you doing? I'm doing okay, Andrew. How are you? Cool. I uh, find your uh, topic interesting. You know, I uh, it's. I mean, I know it's really frustrating for a lot of people around the world dealing with the gun control debate because, I mean, history shows us without, like, you know, being too cliche, but, you know, that's why things are cliche because they're true. Uh, you know, guns, you know, when in, in the hands of the few against the many and in, only in the hands of those that have power, it's been shown again and again that that, that is misused often. But, um, but I think that like maybe what people need to be focusing on is gun culture because, you know, there's all these cliches like, you know, guns don't kill people, people kill people, but they're true. I mean, you know, and I, I hate to once again sound like a broken record, but uh, Switzerland, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's all about the culture at the end of the day. So when we start solving the societal problems and like training people from maybe the age of like 12 or 13 uh, to use guns, which some people are doing. Uh, I mean, I think it's in the UK that it's legal to actually um, hunt. You can hunt at about age nine uh, okay. in some of the areas of the UK. Some of the areas of the UK. You start learning responsible gun control. And I mean, there's many societal issues that cause the problems. You look at the biggest, highest incidence of gun violence. It's in the areas that are ridden with all sorts of social issues. So the real issue is not guns. It's not, uh, it's not necessarily even uh, people in and of being biological human beings. It's the, the kind of uh, culture that is being influenced upon, that people are getting influenced by. So, I mean, what's fascinating to me is you look at the social programs that are running in Norway. I'm not talking about socialism. I'm talking about social programs. Uh, and places like Iceland, what is it about that cohesive culture of 300,000 people that means that the cops can take selfies of themselves eating ice cream because they've got no crimes to solve? You know, right. these, these, that's what I'm interested in. So I hope that you would do a show on that. And thanks, thanks again for doing a great show. I, I appreciate your call. And yeah, something on that, you know, I've been interested in, in that issue of Iceland in the past, but I haven't taken it up in, in a show. They do talk about the fact that Iceland is relatively homogeneous and yeah, exactly. that, yeah, that that somehow helps. But I still think that the idea of an American melting pot where people actually assimilated around the ideas that made America great is an equally viable model. But the problem is now is that we don't demand, you know, that people come here and, and actually live up to those American ideals. We have the welfare programs that belie those ideals. We have all of this multiculturalism in the culture. We have all of this political correctness and everything else. And so people are not being encouraged to assimilate the way that they once were. So I don't know, you know, that again, the, the Icelandic, homogeneity, you know, in some ways it sounds really great because it just sounds better than what we've got going here now. But I don't think that's the only way. And I don't necessarily even think that's the, the best way either. It'd be nice if you can bring elements 
from other cultures that can be wonderfully assimilated into a true American melting pot. We have not seen that for decades, if not a century or more, right? I think that um, you've got you're onto something. Because if we look at the um, sort of the global landscape, um, at any given time, in any given uh, sort of what you might call uh, man-made border or geographical region, there's going to be good areas and not so great areas for various different reasons. It's, what we're all hoping for is utopia. In our minds, in a perfect world, we'd love to see utopia. But we don't live in a perfect world where there's this worldwide utopia because the world is very imbalanced. There's lots of uh, changes going on all over the place. There's droughts, there's famines, there's warring factions, limited resources, and on it goes. And so we haven't gotten to the point in our uh, human collective intelligence to be able to self-manage this correctly, uh, therefore in balance. So, so I think the best thing for people to start Oops, sorry. I, I did that by accident. Wait one sec. Go ahead. I, I cut you off by accident. No Go ahead. You said the, the best way to start no is worries. what? Well, I think the, one, of, one of the best ways for people, people to begin to um, deal with the challenges that they face is to actually start uh, moving into their own ideological groups, but in a very um, in a very structured way. So in other words, you have to study. I mean, I, I don't claim to have all the answers by a long shot. I'm just a geek in front of a computer. But you have to you have right. to be able to look at the sociological aspects, look at the um, resource aspects, and you look at someone like the Amish people. Now, I really admire the Amish people, even though they probably also have their problems. Uh, but somebody, which was probably very clever, at some point in time said, you know, maybe we don't need all of these changes. And they stuck with the sort of 1800s model of living. Now, interestingly enough, the Amish have millions and millions of dollars at their disposal because they don't buy anything that they don't need. It's like sort of well, once I've got, you know, 10 plowshares, I don't need to buy another one. And uh, because they do sell their produce and they own their land, etc., they end up with a surplus of wealth. Um, they, I don't think they have a higher right, but this is violence. this is probably this is probably not the most sort of flourishing life that that one could live. You know, I I think I think I know that. So so you're you're basically in a way talking about having a multiculturalist sort of perspective, but you want a more managed multiculturalism so that no, no, no. I'm, people I'm in the different people people need to people need this is what people have traditionally done and it still it still continues throughout the world. Uh, we've been given this idea that that you know for example um, uh, I, I think it was one of the, one of the really uh, high up uh, politicians or commentators that said recently who I can't remember that it's it's like mathematically impossible for any uh, government calling itself government to actually maintain that everything works perfectly all the time in every area of a landmass the size of the United States under the current technology. So if we look at, for example, Detroit, Detroit is a mess. But then at the same time, you've got places in New England like Connecticut, very well organized, beautiful uh, area of the United States. And, uh, and, and and they're both in the same sort of geographical uh, management region called the United right. States. Right. I mean, but but what what's wow. the difference? What's the difference there? I mean, first of all, there's government intervention in Detroit in, in ways that there isn't in the other places, and you know we could easily have a proper government limited to its proper functions of police, court, and military that could handle the appropriate ratio of local to federal and everything else. No problem. I mean, in fact, we had a very well, you know, a, a country that ran very well in the second half of the 18th, 1800s, you know, 19th century. 
so I don't, I don't think I don't think the geography per se is is any kind of a limit, especially yes. now with I'm all of the technology. Right, but what I'm trying to get to is that the answer to the question that you're looking at of like how do you get your rights, how do you get your influence, etc., doesn't start with um, it is good to debate, but it doesn't necessarily start with asking government to do things differently. It, it, it comes from organizing yourself differently as a community or a town or a city. So once you hit critical mass in order to influence change, and, and you know, you'd have to look at the political science numbers on that. Uh, when they deal with political science, there's a lot of mathematics involved. And then you recognize that if you can get X amount of people to all say, okay, we all believe that we should be armed with a firearm, with a sidearm. If everybody decides on that collectively, then they can't take it away because there's enough people at the tipping point to make that decision. The same thing goes for right. solar power implementation as opposed to nuclear. The same thing goes with many different examples that I could give. Um, so, right, so, but I mean, so the, I mean, the, the the most the most foundational thing though is not how many people adhere to a particular point of view. It's whether that particular point of view is correct, right? And I don't know. Are you a new listener to this show, Andrew? Uh, well, I don't listen every single time. I have heard you on the air before, but I, I would. I would just you, you on, I mean, I you, would if, you, if you do, if you do, then then you know that I myself adhere to Rand. I'm Rand's philosophy, and one of the things that she did talk about is that if you're trying to achieve cultural change, and in fact, I was going through an essay, "What Can One Do?" You know, she talks about the fact that it's not that you need some sort of massive agreement if you have a you know, significant minority of people who have the right ideas and the right arguments, then you yes, can but that would be your you, you can implement cultural even, change. Yes, but that would be your tipping point. I'm saying in political science, um, I mean, I, I say, you know, in other words, whatever that certain amount is, whether it's a certain amount of minority or whether it's a certain amount of majority, whatever you manage to work out mathematically would be the tipping point. And I mean, you'd need political scientists to look at this type of thing and try and figure it out, possibly incorporate some machine learning as well, because that's another very interesting field of study. Uh, you'd actually be able to figure out what would it take to be able to influence this change? Because going to Congress and asking them and asking them, please, would you stop supporting the 1%? please, would you stop supporting the 1%? They're going to say, yes, of course we will, but they won't do it. Because uh, until such a time as you, for example, revamp the currency system, you're not going to be able to pay them more than the 1%, uh, if you catch my drift. So the only way to counteract it is through critical mass, and you need to go and work out what that critical mass is. Now, if people focused on that, uh, I think that you'd get a lot more uh, beneficial um, results, uh, okay. as opposed to kind of just making people aware that there's an issue. Okay, well, I, for myself, I focus more on the content of the ideas and then trying to persuade people about the truth so that in particular it is right for people to be able to defend themselves with guns, even in a proper society in which we have a government who, it, you know, our government is rightfully supposed to take upon itself the job of defending us, right? But when there's a situation like the Pulse nightclub, those people, you know, there's an exigent circumstance. The cops don't have a fast enough response rate to stop a horrible yes. scumbag like that, right? And so it is right for yes, somebody yes. to be able to pull out a gun and shoot that guy dead in the heat of the moment, right? So what a this is, Yeah, the, the, you know, this, this, is, this is a right. And, and defending that right 
and defending it on the on the grounds of arguments connected to reality is the most important thing that we can do. You know, if we do it based on our particular faith or anything like that, then that's not going to cut it. We need to actually come out with concrete arguments and show, you know, it's not the guns that are dangerous. And, you know, again, the things that you were talking about earlier about let's look at cultures where they train children in the proper use yes. of guns and respect for guns at an early age as hunters, et cetera, and look at what the statistics are there versus here, for example. I, you know, even here, though, I think the statistics are, are overblown, and I do have a link about that in the, the program notes. Interesting. Um, thank you. Thank you, Andrew. I'm going to have to let All you right. go now, but I, I do hope that you'll call in again. I'm a little bit over the top of the hour here. You're listening to Don't Let It Go Unheard, and I'm Amy Peekoff. Uh, again, go to don'tletitgo.com if you want to check out all of the program notes for today. But in this last part of, of wrapping up the segment on the Orlando atrocity and the fact that our government has been trying to use this, or at least some in our government are using this as a chance to try to disarm us, what's the proper response? The proper response is to say no in, in the and you know the in the gay community in, in West Hollywood there has been, it seems, an outpouring of support in arming yourself, support for arming yourself in the form of the flags, the, the wonderful flags that are flying there, the rainbow flags. And then uh, the other thing, of course, is not just to speak or display flags about arming yourself, but to actually do it. And there is evidence that plenty of gays, George Takei notwithstanding, are going out and buying for themselves some guns. They're joining organizations like the Pink Pistols, et cetera. Okay. Um, now, what are what are people saying here in the uh, in the chat room that I've been missing while I was sitting there talking with Andrew? What's the answer? Freedom, separation of government with economy for starters. Yes. There were 300 people at the Pulse nightclub, says Tim. One concealed carry could have stopped the whole thing. Yeah, imagine that. All you'd have to do is have one person sober, right? Somebody who says, yes, I'm going to conceal carry, but I'm going to stay sober, could have stopped the entire thing. Otherwise, you need about 10 people to rush the bastard, right? And it's not clear. I'm not sure what people were doing in, in terms of that. And that's the other thing that people need to get into their minds is that if you are in a place and you're not armed, use whatever you have plus your body to rush the bastard and, and, and see what you can do. So that's the physical disarmament section of the show. And I want to quickly go now into the intellectual disarmament. And right now, as I'm looking at my blog, okay, here it comes. Now the link is coming up. I'm looking at my blog at don'tletitgo.com. I'm watching it on my iPad as I go through the program notes. And the story is the Massachusetts government, the Massachusetts Attorney General, going after ExxonMobil and indirectly going after Alex Epstein for the Center for Industrial Progress this week. And I was I was a bit shocked, but I was definitely pleasantly um, pleasantly so shocked to see Alex Epstein's response to the Massachusetts Attorney General. What is going on exactly? As you know, we've been talking about this issue on this show 
there are a number of government officials who have decided that they want to squelch dissent on climate change. And who are the people who are obviously quite motivated to foment dissent on the issue of climate change? Again, what is, what is the consensus on climate change? The so-called consensus on climate change is being pushed by our government through most of the media is that human beings are evil creatures that consume way too much fossil fuels. And as a result, we are basically causing catastrophic warming or climate change throughout the world. And that this is going to end in horrible disasters, not just for us, but for every single species out there. Okay. Um, So this is the climate change consensus. There are many people now who are questioning it, not enough people probably, but there's many. And a number of the oil companies, of course, are interested in questioning this so-called consensus on fossil fuels. They make their living, of course, by selling fossil fuels. Uh, But yeah, so what do they want to do? They want to actually help spread the word that maybe the fossil fuels aren't quite as damaging as people would say, or that, you know, all of the government proposed, quote, solutions to this problem, which have to do with taxing and restricting our behavior and stuff, are not going to achieve the ends that they say they're going to achieve anyway, right? That it's a whole bunch of government excuses to take control over our lives and to sort of push us back to the Stone Age if if our government could have it, right? So, of course, the oil companies would like to do this. They would like to defend themselves. They would like to question the consensus on this. And one person who has been the most effective at questioning this consensus is Alex Epstein. He has the book, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, which puts forth the entire, as it says, moral case for fossil fuels. The reason that we need to keep producing and consuming fossil fuels On the floor of the Senate, he talks about the fact that since we've been consuming fossil fuels, that I believe the climate-related deaths, human toll, right, the death toll, has decreased by 98%. And so that the, the consumption of fossil fuels is definitely beneficial to human life overall, even if you could say that there's a little bit of warming that might result from this overall, the climate control that we get. In fact, the wonderful air conditioning that I'm sitting in right now is due to fossil fuels. It makes so much possible, so much productivity, so much life. So this is what people need to do. They need to be able to defend themselves, right? Here's government. Government says, we're going to initiate force against you. We're going to impose taxes. We're going to impose regulations, caps on how much you can produce. We're going to tell you whether or not you can build this pipeline to transport, right, the Keystone Pipeline. Government taking power over all these things. Those people who are threatened with the initiation of force from government want to defend themselves with arguments. They are just trying to put arguments out there in, you know, to Congress, to the Senate or whatever when appropriate, but also to the court of public opinion. Why? Because you and I, We'll vote in our senators, our congresspeople, whoever, who are going to be the ones who are going to enact these laws. If we don't like the fact that our congresspeople are going to make gas prices more expensive by what they're proposing to do, we will complain to them and tell them we will not vote for them the next time around. And hopefully if they like their jobs, they will listen to us, right? So court of public opinion, so to speak, that's 
where these people would also like to spread their message. And now the government is deciding that they can't let that happen. They cannot let the oil companies or people like Alex spread the message of questioning this consensus, so-called consensus, on climate change. Um, And how are they doing this? They are threatening to take actions against them for so-called fraud. Fraud. They're saying it's fraud. Now, how could it be fraud, right? How could it be fraud? Um, I've talked about the fact that on this show earlier, I, I cannot even, I don't even think you could properly go after these people for fraud, right? Fraud is a violation of rights. It is a species of associate, uh, initiation of force, right? Um, so if I, for example, put a product out there and I said, oh, this product is going to make you healthy or whatever. And it turned out that I lied about the qualities of this product and you purchased it and you either ate it or drank it or whatever it was, you know, some sort of wonderful tonic and some horrible thing happened to you or maybe nothing happened to you at all. Right. Um, If I was fraudulent and you could prove that I was fraudulent in portraying the qualities of this thing, you could sue me for damages. Right. Now, people usually don't sue for damages because there's a huge placebo effect and there's all kinds of other things. You know, it's a very small amount of damages. Getting a class action suit against people who have a feel-good tonic is, you know, usually not so well. But, you know, you get the principle, right? Um, But now they're trying to go after ExxonMobil and people like Alex for fraud. And why is it because people like ExxonMobil and and Alex dare to disagree with this so-called consensus? They have their own theory about the dangers of so-called climate change and of what would be best to quote do, you know, to actually do about it, essentially nothing. Um, And so the government wants to shut them down. They don't want to have a debate about this. They don't want to allow them to speak their mind. They want to shut them down. And so they're going after them. And in particular, they are now subpoenaing the communications, the email communications between ExxonMobil and Alex Epstein. Uh, They want to compel the production of these emails because they want, you know, to silence them, right? This is any, any time the government's bringing the force in, it's for silencing. It's not that they're going to find anything damning. They're going to find exactly what they expect, which is that Alex is expressing his own opinion about what all of the climate statistics and everything out there actually add up to about, you know, the so-called dangers of the consumption of fossil fuels and everything else. He has his own interpretation of that data. That's what he is promoting. That's what he's going to be talking about in these emails with Exxon, no doubt. It's not going to be surprising. It's just, you know, it's like I talked about, I have a, I have a post, a blog post about attack watch as a species or as, as an example of the principle that force stops thinking, right? What they want to do is they just want to intimidate these people into silence. Just get Alex in his mind to question just a little bit what he's doing and the wisdom of what he's doing in challenging this so-called consensus on climate change. They just want him to have a little bit of doubt, a little bit of hesitation, uh, maybe a lot, a lot of doubt, a lot of hesitation. Good luck, it looks like with Alex, right? But they're, yeah, they're using government power to go after Exxon, go after Alex. And what is Alex's response? If you haven't gone over either to Alex's own Twitter feed, Alex Epstein on Twitter, or over to my blog at don'tletitgo.com where I have an image of the tweet, 
he actually has an image of the email he sent back to the Attorney General of Massachusetts. Her name is Maura Healy. It's a very short, very eloquent email. It just says, and I'm not reading it in full because I'm not swearing on this show, but I've got it in print over at the blog. It just says, F off fascist. That's it. Beautiful and eloquent. And what do I say about this, right? Because here is someone swearing at a government official, swearing at a government official. And yet I submit that this is actually warranted in this particular situation. And I I have a whole actual post at the blog devoted to F off fascist. You can check it out there too. But this is what I say. I say that if you have a government official who is persecuting you for expressing an opinion about a scientific theory, right? When government is bringing force to bear on you for expressing your own opinion about a scientific theory, then in that situation, profanity towards that government official is entirely appropriate. I think this is awesome. It is heroic uh, to do this. It is definitely entirely appropriate. It also stops, right? I think, you know, and and one person, uh, Don Watkins, who's been a friend of Alex for years, had posted the fact that Alex rarely uses profanity in his own life. I think he uses maybe, maybe, you know, a handful of times or something in the 10 years that he knew him or something like that. So imagine how extraordinary it is for this guy to use profanity, but imagine also what it does in terms of disrupting the ability of this attorney general to intimidate him, right? Because he is rejecting it in the strongest possible way, in a way that isn't typical by using this profanity. So I'd be interested to hear if you guys disagree with the use of profanity in this context, because some people have. And if you wanted to argue about that a little, 760-888-5817 is the number to do it. But I am in favor of the use of profanity here. I, you know, I, th- I think it is entirely appropriate in this context. You know, again, what is he doing? He's expressing an opinion about a scientific theory. It's not even the case. Like, for example, you could talk about the tobacco industry and the information that the, the tobacco industry put out about its product, right? And this actually gets a little bit closer to a real example that's like the one I was talking about, the hypothetical tonic example. Think about instead of a tonic, think about cigarettes, right? It apparently is true that the cigarette companies were manufacturing data that made cigarettes look more harmless than they really were, right? Definitely that is, you know, uh, something that happened. And why was that possible to happen for so long? Because who is the one who did all the studies and had all the data and to put it out there, it it was them. Whereas now, We have government funding the collection and the manipulation of all of this climate data, right? Um, So we have have government doing this. We have plenty of government resources devoted to putting out the so-called consensus theory on climate change, right? Um, And so, you know, the, the fact that someone like Exxon or someone like Alex is going to go out and put their own version of the theory. Everybody can go out and check the logic. They can check the data, the sources, and everything of whatever it is that 
Alex or ExxonMobil or anybody puts out there because this is something that's generally available. You know, is there global warming? There's plenty of competition, so to speak, about this issue. And it's not like, you know, Alex or ExxonMobil is closely guarding some secret data that only they have and they're misrepresenting it to the public. They are offering their own interpretation of data that is available to everyone. And in fact, who has been exposed as being fraudulent? It is often the people who have been pushing the so-called consensus theory. So this idea, you know, first of all, that you could properly persecute them for fraud, even if their theory is incorrect, their inter- even if their interpretation is incorrect, it's ridiculous to say that it's fraud because, again, it's just their own opinion about a scientific theory, and the place to counter that theory is out there in peer-reviewed journals and studies and everything else. As it stands right now, it looks like the government's funding in favor of the consensus theory is probably exceeding the other. And if the government and their consensus theorists, if they actually had a real argument, they wouldn't resort to using government initiation of force to shut these people down. They would just go out and publicize their own theory more, you know, in the spirit of Mark Zuckerberg that we've talked about in the last few weeks. So I think entirely appropriate. F off fascist is, is perfect in this context. And um, I, I wish him well. I do hope that he gets Al Gore to, you know, uh, accept the debate challenge, although I don't think he's going to. Another tweet that I've duplicated over in the in the program notes at, at don'tletitgo.com is from the Ayn Rand bot. And it just happened to come up on the same day, just a few hours after Alex Epstein tweeted out his response to the attorney general. And it's this, it's defiance, not obedience, is the American's answer to overbearing authority. Defiance, not obedience, is the American's answer to overbearing authority. I don't think I know anything more defiant than telling an attorney general who's trying to confiscate all of your emails, F off, fascist. I don't know that there's anything more defiant than that. It was excellent. So bravo, bravo to Alex. Let me see what we got over here in the chat room. I've got somebody asking if they can rebroadcast my show. Um, I don't know what you mean by rebroadcast, but for me to have accurate numbers of my show listeners, I really want them coming over to blog talk so that I can track it. My show is also available through iTunes. I prefer to have people come there rather than rebroadcast it anywhere else. Um, if you want to contact me through my blog at don'tletitgo.com, if you go on the page for Amy and you want to send me an email and talk about what you have in mind with respect to rebroadcast and why I would want to do that as opposed to send them through Blog Talk or through iTunes, go ahead and let me know. Uh, by the way, if anybody out there does happen to have you know big radio contacts and stuff, that is something I'm interested in doing. I would be interested in doing this as a full-time career at some point. So uh, I don't know if I can ever make that work. Maybe if I get enough donors, right, at, at don'tletitgo.com. If I get enough donors to the show, I could make this a, a full-time thing. As it is, I, I love this. It's a, it's a wonderful avocation, and I think once a week is good. But I, I wouldn't mind definitely doing it more. Um, now, are people here in the chat room having trouble? Someone uh, just Jean says, I have no problem with profanity in this case. Tim also says, it's a proper response succinct 
and profane. Rob Aviera has his open letter to Governor Fallon, which I will have to take a look at. That would be great to see. Um, and people got a great laugh. Oh, it was it was awesome. Um, Cobra Pilot says it may be obscene, but it's not profane. Profane applies to religious expressions. Okay, okay, so obscene but not profane. How about lurid? So they're talking. Um, so you wouldn't even call it profanity. This is typically you know worded as profanity, but who knows? Anyway, um, don't let it go.com also if you want to comment about the issue of the use of profanity in this context. F off fascist. It's, it's actually become a tagline. I posted it on the Don't Let It Go on Her page on Facebook, right? I, I made a whole little, um, you know, a, a single post, a freestanding post about this point. You know, when is it that profanity towards a government official is appropriate? It is appropriate when that government official is persecuting you, using government force against you, simply for expressing an opinion about a scientific theory. That is unacceptable. Profanity is perfectly appropriate in that situation. So I put the tag F off fascist, right? But I spelled it out and I tried to boost the post on Facebook. You can pay to have a little bit more audience to your posts and Facebook would not allow it. It was disallowed. So in any event, I tried to do what I could, but you can help spread it. You can help spread that post through the don't let it go on her page on Facebook. If you are interested, um, John says he should put it on a t-shirt. Yeah, that would be great. To put that on a t-shirt it should really become a tagline out here um okay let me go back here to our program notes just a couple of things philadelphia has passed a soda tax and if you actually go to the article the article is from new york times there is a photograph there of the gleeful supporters of this new legislation proponents of the soda uh, soda tax speaking out there. And the proponents of this tax are holding signs in their hands. And the signs say, our kids are worth it. So what do you have? You have a a new tax on sodas only, and it's in the name of the kids, of course. It's such a wonderful, wonderful thing that now you have to pay new taxes in order to buy sodas. Now, I don't even buy soda. I don't, I mean, occasionally I'll drink a few sips of soda, But I agree that sodas are not helpful. Nonetheless, it is not the proper function of government to steer our behavior through the mechanism of tax. And this idea that people would spend so much time, money, and effort as well lobbying to pass a tax on soda, this is really, really revulsifying. It, for me, I mean, I want to go to Philadelphia to see a lot of the historic sites maybe and other things, but I would consider boycotting Philadelphia simply because of this horrible soda tax. I'm certainly not going to live there. Might still visit, but that's that is revulsifying. A little bit of good news. Thanks to Rob Aviera, send it over. It is that California lawmakers have quote unplugged the state's electric car program. And the article, if you read it, it starts out with a little sob story about how the electric car was so much more healthy for this one family and they couldn't have purchased but for the electric car program that subsidized the purchase of these overly priced electric cars that still, by the way, consume all sorts of fossil fuels because they run on electricity, as Alex Epstein will no doubt educate you. But the fact that lawmakers are eventually confronted with the reality that these programs are bloated and too expensive and not sustainable it's a good thing. 
it's a good thing that they have to actually face the music. Another fun thing at DontLetItGo.com, I think this is the one that Rob said was so much fun. It's the second article in which I've got profanity this week. Um, Gavin McGinnis made a huge gesture, which he describes as, you know, the meaning of this gesture as F.U. Islam. He went with Milo, and again, Milo's last name, Yiannopoulos. I hope I pronounced that correctly. He went with him to Orlando to do a whole press conference, essentially, I think, showing support for the homosexual community there. Uh, You know, in particular, Milo gave a whole talk about, you know, basically gays and and self-defense and and, uh, everything else that you would expect from him. But I guess McInnes, who's described himself as a homophobe, decided in the middle of this press conference to go ahead and kiss Milo in a gesture to say, F you, Islam. And if you watch the Twitter feeds of McGinnis and of Milo, you see that they have gotten quite a reaction from the Arab slash Muslim community that's all offended at this, all kinds of threats and everything else. But bravo to them for, for doing that and I think, you know, for showing support. Milo himself is homosexual, but Gavin McGinnis is not. Gavin McGinnis is just an overall awesome guy and decided to uh, engage in this gesture to say F you to those who would target homosexuals because of their sexual orientation. It's horrible. Uh, one last thing I wanted to leave you with, with, you know, kind of the, the negativity that we have this week, although I think I've shown you that we have defiance both from the gay community against jihadists. And we also have defiance with ExxonMobil and Alex Epstein against these fascists. But if you want to go back and revisit an old episode of mine in which I talk about hope and, and the rational foundation for hope, that might provide a little bit of, of solace in this in this horrible week. So go ahead and check that out. Everyone, I am out of time. I can't believe it. I thank you all for participating, a couple of you for calling in today and, and talking. And I'm going to talk to you next week at the same time, same station. In the meantime, go to don'tletitgo.com, don'tletitgo.com, I can say that, to continue the conversation. If you want to support the show, that would be great as well. Uh, check out the various links and everything i got there. And I will talk to you next week. Everyone, take care. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.